you have your Bibles, turn to me, if you would, today to the book of Matthew, chapter 21. We're going to be looking at a Palm Sunday message, Who is this? The very question that is still being answered today by those who are listening and following the Lord Jesus. Who is this? All four gospel writers share this same account of the triumphal entry. Here's the way Matthew recorded it in chapter 21, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's pray for a moment. God, these events are amazing. They really happened on that bright Sunday morning. And they are still as relevant in its message today as they've ever been. A message full of hope and encouragement and eternal life. And I'm praying today, God, in Jesus' name, that as we open this up, you will speak. And we will know with certainty when we leave the answer to the question, who is this? And we'll thank you in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Pebble Beach is one of the most famous, iconic, and beautiful golf courses anywhere in the world. It is almost every golfer's dream to play there. Located on the Monterey Peninsula near Carmel, it's the site of an annual PGA tournament, the AT&T Pro-Am, or whatever they decide to call it in the future. The tournament draws the best golfers in the world, as well as some very notable names amongst the rich and famous. Two of the not-so-rich-and-famous went to watch a tournament there a few years ago, Carla and me. And like many others, we were hoping to see Tiger Woods, who at that time was becoming known as the greatest golfer in the world. So when we arrived, we walked down along the first fairway. We saw Vijay Singh, Ben Crenshaw, and we saw Kevin Costner, who was playing in a group. And uh, we didn't see Tiger, so we walked on ahead of that group and kept going. We still didn't see him, and then eventually... We saw the crowds getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until finally there was a green that had so many people around it, 10 or 15 deep. You couldn't even get near the thing. And I remember saying, hey, who, who is that up there? Who, who, who's playing up there? You don't know. That's Tiger Woods up there. And we realized, man, look at the crowd that's following him. And we, we realized we're never going to get to see him in this crowd. So we went ahead to the 16th green, sat down around the green with a few other people, and we waited. And every group that came through, people would say, who is this? Who's this one? Is this him? We saw Jack Nicholas. We saw Tom Watson. We saw a bunch of celebrities. But boy, when Tiger Woods came down and people said, who is that? That's Tiger. Oh, man, the place went crazy, and the crowd erupted. 
That kind of excitement, that kind of enthusiasm, that kind of anticipation, that kind of a crowd is what was centered around Jesus that day as he rode into the city of Jerusalem. It was called Palm Sunday, or the triumphal entry, so named because crowds who hailed Jesus as king were waving palm branches and laying their coats in the road like carpets, giving him a royal welcome. Palm Sunday, the beginning of the most significant week in human history, a week that would culminate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Where did the crowds come from that were with Jesus on his Mount of Olives journey that day? Well, first of all, they were pilgrims from all over the Eastern world who had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Then there were those who had heard about the raising of Lazarus, who just a day or two before, depending on the chronology of the New Testament, Jesus had raised this man who had been four days in the grave. He was alive. The shockwave of that went through their village, down the Mount of Olives, and across Jerusalem. People were coming out by the hundreds to make their way to see this Lazarus, who was dead, but now he was alive. He may even have been with Jesus in the Palm Sunday parade. And then there were religious leaders, many of them, who hated Jesus. They were monitoring his every move. They had their people everywhere. And they were out there listening to what the people were shouting as they were hailing him as king. Do you remember in Luke 19, Luke said in verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. That's why there was a massive surge that went into the city that day. Matthew said in chapter 21, verse 10, the whole city was stirred. And they were asking, who is this? What's going on? What is this about? Who is this man? Who is this? Life's most important question. The answer to which is the difference between eternal life and eternal death. And in the space of a few hours that day, Jesus would reveal his identity to anyone who had eyes to see and hearts to believe. Because the most important truth you will ever believe is the truth about who is the person of Jesus. Who is he? Well, on that Palm Sunday, Jesus revealed that he is the Lord, he is the King, and he is the Savior. Jesus is the Lord. Matthew said in verse 1, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. If you ever spent much time in the East or in the South, most likely you at one time or another have been to an Eckert drugstore. Founded years ago by Jack Eckert, it grew into one of the largest East and Southern drugstore chains. Later in his life, Jack Eckert, the founder, became a Christian, a very committed believer. Now, if you remember this in the news some years ago, Jack Eckert was walking through one of his drugstores when he saw the magazine racks filled with glossy copies of Playboy and Penthouse magazine. And he was deeply offended by that. 
And even though Eckert had retired from active management, he called the president of the company and urged him to get rid of those pornographic magazines. The president protested because substantial profits were gained from their sale, and even Jack Eckert, who was the largest stockholder, stood to lose a great deal of money by that decision. But he remained firm in his objection, and he prevailed. And the offensive magazines were removed from all 1,700 Eckerd drugstores. When he was asked what motivated him to take this action, because if you remember at the time in the news, this was a pretty controversial step. They wanted to know why he was doing this. He simply answered, God would not let me off the hook. Jesus is Lord. Now, when you recognize Jesus is Lord, it makes a difference in the way you live. Because you come to realize it's not a matter of what I think, it's a matter of what he thinks. It isn't a matter of what I want, it's a matter of what he wants. It isn't a matter of what pleases me, it's a matter of what pleases him. In fact, it isn't even a matter about my life at all anymore. It's about his life lived in me. In fact, Jesus used to address people at times who used to call him Lord, but they didn't do what he said. In fact, in Luke 6, verse 46, he asked the disciples that day, why do you call me Lord? Why do you call me Lord? Lord, and do not do what I say. Jesus told two disciples to fetch a donkey and his colt and bring them to him. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he'll send them right away. Tell them the Lord needs them. The word Lord that he used is the word for master. It is the word for owner. It's interesting what Jesus was saying. Tell the guy who's got the donkey that the owner needs his donkey. It's interesting, Jesus put forth the idea of lordship and the fact that he's lord of everything. So that guy may have been the steward or caretaker of the Lord's donkey, but it was his donkey. You tell him the Lord needs his donkey. I'm going to be fulfilling scripture I'm going to be fulfilling a 500-year-old prophecy. You don't understand everything I'm accomplishing right now, but I'm telling you to go into the village, tell him you need the donkey, and he's going to give it to you and send it back right away. And if he asks anything, you tell him the owner needs his donkey. The Lord needs his donkey. What's interesting to me is the disciples went, and the donkey was sent. And I wonder if it would go that well today if Jesus were given the same command. I don't mean to be harsh at all. I'm talking mostly about my own life. Jesus is Lord of my life, but I still have some areas where I'm not always that responsive. So I wondered if Jesus said, Larry, I want you to go fetch me a donkey. If I'd say things like this, well, Lord, I... I, I would and I will, but I can't right now. I'm a little busy. I, I mean, I got a ton of stuff going on. I don't have room in my schedule. 
Or how about this answer the Lord hears all the time from people? Okay, let me, let me pray about it first. <laughs> or, man, it's, it's really awkward asking a total stranger to give of his donkey. And I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. And the answer you told me to give him, if I tell him I'm doing it, because the Lord needs it, he's going to think I'm weird, some kind of religious freak or something. I, I'm just not comfortable with that. Or how about the guy with the donkey? A couple guys walk up. He doesn't know who they are. Start untying his donkey in the colt. Hey, 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 where, where, where are you going with my donkey? Well, the Lord needs them. Both of them? He needs both of them? You said the Lord needs the donkey. Is this a real need? I mean, are you sure this is a need? And by the way, will I get a tax deduction for my donation? <laughs> and how long will he need these? I mean, am I going to get them back? What's this going to cost me? Let's be honest. If we responded to his request the way many times we might respond, Jesus would have been on foot going into Jerusalem that day because he needed a donkey then and he didn't need people to be debating with him about whether or not they'd give it. Jesus is still looking for people who live his lordship. A.W. Tozier, if you never had a chance to read any of his stuff, uh, you ever get a chance, read one of his books. Powerful stuff. He wrote a piece once called The Waning Authority of Christ in the Churches. And what he was talking about, Bible-believing, evangelical churches, the waning authority of Christ in those churches. Here's what he wrote. The lordship of Jesus is not quite forgotten among Christians, but it has been relegated to the hymnal or the chorus sheet where all responsibility toward it may be comfortably discharged in a glow of pleasant religious emotion. Or if it's taught as a theory in the classroom, it's rarely applied to practical living. The idea that the man Christ Jesus has absolute and final authority over the whole church and over all of its members in every detail of their lives is simply not now accepted as true by the rank and file of evangelical Christians. For the true Christian, the one supreme test for the present soundness and ultimate worth of everything religious must be the place our Lord occupies in it. Is he Lord or symbol? Is he in charge of the project or merely one of the crew? Does he decide things? Or is he really only there to help carry out the plans of others? Who is this, the people said. It went through Jerusalem like a shockwave. Who is this? Jesus said, go fetch me a donkey. I'll fulfill the scriptures. Tell them the Lord needs them. 
This is bigger than you understand. The Lord is always asking us to do things that we don't see the whole picture. And he's not looking for an, a debate. He's looking for us to obey. What's surprising is verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. Jesus is Lord. And he's still looking for people to demonstrate his lordship to the way they listen, to the way they obey, to the way they worship, by the way they grow, by the way they serve, by the way they give, by the way they treat each other, and by the way they live his life in the world. He's Lord. And not only that Jesus is Lord, but Jesus is King. Matthew wrote in verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. They just didn't recognize him as king. In 1990, Carla and I went back to Connecticut to participate in my 20th high school reunion. I'll save you the math. I'm 64 years old. I don't want you sitting there trying to figure this all out. <laughs> so we went back for a 20th high school reunion. The name of my school was a small New England school. It was called Northwestern Regional High School District Number 7 Highlanders. We lost a lot of cheerleaders just trying to figure out how to do a cheer on that thing. Now, when we got to the class reunion, they gave us a name tag that had our picture on it and our name, and we were walking around greeting each other. This guy comes up to me with his hand. I assumed he was the guest of one of the classmates because I had never seen this guy. He comes walking up with his hand over his thing here, which was obviously his name tag. He goes, hey, remember me? <laughs> now, I'm staring at this guy. And I'm thinking, I, have, I know that I have never in my lifetime seen this guy. Now, the guy standing in front of me had shoulder-length hair. He was very tanned, very muscular, and tattooed. He had a chain around his neck with a big medallion that hung right prominently displayed in the opening of his shirt that was unbuttoned down to his navel. <laughs> now, he had on skin-tight leather pants, and he had this adoring woman clutching his arm. And uh, she was wearing an outfit on a body that I, I, can't, I, I, I can't describe to you exactly what she looked like. You're just going to have to use your imagination. Now, there were only 102 people in our graduating class. I was a class officer. I knew everybody. I knew them well. And I'm looking at this guy thinking, I know I've never seen you before in my life. He whips his hand off and he goes, I'm Jackie. I said, Jackie? The, the guy, Jackie, who went to our school? Jackie, my overweight, out of shape, clarinet playing, balding, black horn rim, glass shy, nerd of a friend, Jackie? <laughs> he goes, that's me. I was really good friends with this guy. We hung out all the time. I'm staring at this guy thinking, there's no way 
I, I wouldn't have recognized him, and I didn't believe it even after he told me, but it was him. And the reason I couldn't believe it was he wasn't at all what I was expecting. That's why so many people missed the coming of their king on Palm Sunday. They weren't looking for the real Jesus. They were looking for the Jesus of their expectation. And I can tell you, no matter how well you think you know Jesus, if you don't know the real one, when you actually meet him, you'll miss him because he won't meet your expectation. That's what was happening that day. The crowds were looking for a king who came to conquer. Jesus was the king who came to die. Matthew said in verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, more than 500 years before the birth of Christ, God spoke those words through the prophet Zechariah, who would not only give us a detailed account of what the second coming of Christ is going to look like, but he also gave us some of the insight and detail of what this coming into Jerusalem that day would look like. And what's very interesting is that Zechariah said that he was coming as king to fulfill a covenant of blood. In fact, in Zechariah 9, verse 9, the whole prophecy reads like this. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, the northern kingdom. They will not be attacking you anymore. And the war horses from Jerusalem, they'll not be needed anymore. And the battle bow will be broken. It will not fire anymore. Because he, this king is going to proclaim peace to the nations. He's coming on a mission of peace. He will rule, his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This is a global rule. Zechariah goes on later in chapter 14 to say there will be one king and one kingdom. Look at verse 11. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Zechariah said there's going to be a coming king. He's going to be the king, the global king, and he's coming in to fulfill a blood covenant to set the prisoners free. But many missed his salvation because he was not the king they were expecting. It wasn't the deliverance they were looking for. Many were looking for a political king, someone who would use his amazing power to overthrow Roman oppression or restore Israel to its greatness, to do away with the corrupt religious leaders that they had and restore the kingdom as it should be. But by the end of the week, many who had hailed him as king on Sunday were crying out for his crucifixion by Friday because he wasn't the king they expected. It wasn't the king they wanted. Many others just wanted a king who would serve their needs, feed them, care for them, heal them, pamper them, protect them. To many others, he was just a religious leader, a good man, a moral teacher, an option among many. To others, he was a threat. You know, today, people have so many different views of Jesus. And you wonder why, in a world that proliferates the name of Jesus, especially in the United States, you wonder how many people, how, how can so many people miss him? Because 
They have their own idea of who Jesus is so that when they hear the real thing, they don't see him because it doesn't meet their expectation. A few years ago, I came across a piece by Kevin DeYoung who wrote a blog called Who Do You Say That I Am? He said it's one of life's most important questions. And he said the greatness of God is mostly displayed in his son and the glory of the gospel is only made evident in his son, which is why who do you say I am or who is this? The answer to that is so critical, so crucial. He said, today, Jesus is very popular, but there's so many different versions of him. I shared this a few years ago. I'm going to share it again because it really impacted me when I heard it. Maybe it will you too. Kevin DeYoung said, you know what? There's the Republican Jesus who's against tax increases and activist judges. He's for family values and owning firearms. There's the Democrat Jesus, who is against Wall Street and Walmart for reducing our carbon footprint and printing money. There's therapist Jesus, who helps us cope with life's problems, heals our past, tells us how valuable we are, not to be so hard on ourselves. There's Starbucks Jesus, who drinks fair trade coffee, loves spiritual conversations, drives a hybrid, and goes to film festivals. <laughs> There's open-minded Jesus, who loves everyone all the time, no matter what, except for people who are not quite as open-minded as they are. There's touchdown Jesus who helps athletes run faster, jump higher than non-Christians, and determines the outcome of Super Bowls. There's martyr Jesus, a good man who died a cruel death, so we can feel sorry for him. There's gentle Jesus who is meek and mild with high cheekbones, flowing hair, and walks around barefoot wearing a sash, looking very German. There's hippie Jesus who teaches everyone who give, to give peace a chance, imagines a world without religion, and helps us remember that all you need is love. There's yuppie Jesus who encourages us to reach our full potential, reach for the stars, oh yes, and to buy a boat. There's spirituality Jesus who hates religion, hates churches, pastors, priests, and doctrine, would rather have people out in nature finding the God within while listening to ambiguously spiritual music. There's platitude Jesus, Good for Christmas specials, greeting cards, bad sermons, inspiring people to believe in themselves. There's revolutionary Jesus who teaches us to rebel against the status quo, stick it to the man, and blame things on the system. There's guru Jesus, a wise, inspirational teacher who believes you and helps you find your center. There's boyfriend Jesus who wraps his arms around us as we all sing about his intoxicating love in the secret place. There's good example Jesus who shows you how to help people change the planet and become a better you. And then he said, there's the real Jesus. There is Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. Not just another prophet, not just another rabbi, not just another wonder worker. He was the one they had been waiting for. The son of David and Abraham's chosen seed. The one to deliver us from captivity. The goal of the Mosaic law. Yahweh in human flesh. The one to establish God's reign and rule. The one to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, and proclaim good news to the poor. The Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. This Jesus was the creator come to earth in the beginning of a new creation. He embodied the covenant. He fulfilled the commandments. And he reversed the curse. This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke of to the serpent. This is the Christ who is prefigured to Noah in the flood. This is the Christ who is promised to Abraham. This is the Christ who is prophesied through Balaam to the Moabites. This was the Christ 
guaranteed to Moses before he died. This was the Christ promised to David when he was king. This was the Christ revealed to Isaiah as the suffering servant. This was the Christ predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. This Christ is not a reflection of the current mood or projection of our own desires. He is our Lord and God. He is the Father's Son, the Savior of the world, the substitute for our sins, more loving, more holy, more wonderfully terrifying than you ever thought possible. This Jesus is King. That's who Jesus is. And this king came into Jerusalem that day on a mission of peace, he said. To establish the greatest peace there could ever be on earth, peace between God and sinful man. Kings who came to conquer and reign came on white horses to make war. Jesus came on a donkey's colt to make peace between God and man. And make no mistake about it, Zechariah was clear. Jesus is coming again. He's coming again to earth bodily. This time he's not coming to die, he's coming to reign. And he won't be riding a donkey, he'll be riding a great white horse. And you will never have to wonder who this is. Because the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. This is the King of kings. This is the Lord of lords. Who is this? He's Jesus the King. The King who came to die. And God wants no one to miss his coming. And not only Lord and King, but this Jesus is Savior. Look, Matthew wrote in verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey, the colt, placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on, a very large crowd, spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. I was reading a piece in a book by Robert Weber writes a lot about worship. He wrote a book in 2008 called Who Gets to Narrate the World, where he said that he was traveling on a plane from San Francisco to Los Angeles a few years ago, and he was sitting next to the window reading a Christian book. The man next to me, he said, obviously from the Eastern Hemisphere, asked, are you a religious man? Well, yes, I said, I am. The guy responded, I am too. And so we began talking about religion. In the middle of the conversation, I asked him, hey, could you give me a one-liner that captures the essence of your faith? He said, yes. It's this. We're all part of the problem, and we're all part of the solution. We talked about his one-liner for a while, and then I finally said to him, would you like a one-liner that captures the essence of the Christian faith? He said, sure, I would. And so Robert Weber said, I told him, we're all part of the problem, but there's only one man who is the solution. His name is Jesus Christ. You see, the problem of humanity is sin. All of us have sinned and fall short of his glory, all of us. The sin is what separates us from God. 
and it will separate us from ever, forever if that sin isn't forgiven. If we're not saved from that dilemma, there's no hope. Jesus is the Savior, which is what the people were proclaiming that Palm Sunday morning without even realizing it. You see, the crowds were declaring the praise of their Savior. Verse 9, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, Hosanna is a Hebrew expression. You all know that. But it's an expression of urgency. The word means save. means one word, save. But it is the urgent form, which means save us now which is what the people were crying out as Jesus went into the city. Save us now. Save us now. Save us, son of David. Save us in the highest heaven. Save us now. But they didn't understand that the salvation that they needed was not from Roman oppression. It was not from high taxes or corrupt government or corrupt leaders. Their need was the same as ours. The greatest need of humanity is to be saved from what sin has done and will do to separate us from God forever. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Paul told the Romans. In Romans 6, he said in verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And people, we are powerless to do anything about this sin condition. We're not part of the solution. We're part of the problem. Max Lucado, in his book, No Wonder They Call Him the Savior, wrote it like this. You can't save yourself. You can't do that by yourself. I don't care how many worship services you attend or good deeds you do, your goodness is insufficient. You can't be good enough to deserve this forgiveness. No one bats a thousand. No one. Not you, not me, not anyone. That's why we have guilt in the world, and that's why we need a Savior. And in Jesus, we have one. And he's still saving people who believe who he is. That he is God come in human flesh, died for our sins, buried in a tomb, rose again the third day and offering hope, forgiveness, and eternal life to those who will believe him and receive him. He's the Savior. That's why Paul would later write in Romans 10, verse 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, declared righteous. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Excuse me. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Who is this? He's Jesus the Savior. He is the one, the only one, who can save us from our sins. That's why crying Hosanna today is as relevant as it's ever been. Save us, Jesus. Save us now. You know, when um, Paul Harvey passed away, We lost a great radio commentator. By the way, if you've never heard him, I encourage you to Google Paul Harvey and listen to one of his old programs. He used to end um, his shows, his special shows that he did with, and now you know the rest of the story. 
I can't do it quite like he did it, but he would always tell these details that were fascinating. And he would always teach a life lesson. In one of those, he was talking about a girl named Alexandra Flynn of Fremont, Nebraska, who was looking forward to attending her 2002 homecoming dance. She was a senior. It was her final one. She left home in high spirits, but she didn't have her high school ID with her. When the man at the door refused her admission without her ID, she went home to get it. But she couldn't find it. So her mother went with her back to the dance to identify her and to explain. But again, the daughter was refused admission without the ID. Alex had the tickets in her hand, but still was not admitted, even though Alexandra Flynn of Fremont High is the student body president. Plays cello in the All-State Orchestra, is on the honor roll, is the school's number one cheerleader, and had spent hours with a group of people who were decorating the gym for the homecoming dance. But she was still not admitted. And Paul Harvey said, oh, and did I mention this was a homecoming dance. Alexandra Flynn is the homecoming queen. But she never got in. She missed it all. She was not invited in to the very celebration of which she was to be the center. Sound familiar? Jesus knows what that feels like. To be the center of a celebration, but not be invited in. Because they didn't know who he was. People, we're coming to another Palm Sunday. The Apostle John once wrote, in John 1, verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. That first Palm Sunday, there were hundreds of people shouting all the right things. But for the most part, they missed him because some of those same people were crying out for his crucifixion by the end of the week. We are coming to another Palm Sunday. Crowds of people will be involved in Easter celebrations of all kinds. But will they see Jesus there? Will he be invited in to the center of the celebration? Will we know who he is? Who is this? It's the question that swept through the city that day. And if they had had eyes to see and hearts to believe, they would have known the answers that Jesus revealed to them throughout all those events. And their eternity and their lives could have been so different if they would have just have listened that he is the Lord, he is the King, he is the Savior. Who is this? You know, today, to be honest, when people ask me, why do you get together? Why do you do what you do? Who is this Jesus? I can tell them. This Jesus that we're celebrating, he's my Lord. This Jesus we're celebrating, 
He's my king. This Jesus is my savior. And I can say to them, is he yours? Is he yours? Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. We can celebrate Palm Sunday in this whole week because we know who it is. Jesus, the Lord, the King, and the Savior has finally come. God, thank you for this. Thank you for allowing us to know this. Thank you for allowing us to celebrate this. And Lord, this can't be just some celebration that comes and goes. This is to be something that changes our lives. That's why today, Lord, I'm sincerely praying that if there are people here in this room, if there are people listening right now on our live stream who aren't sure that they have you as Lord or have you as King or have you as Savior, I'm praying right now, God, if they've heard, if they've believed, if they now get it, if you've opened their hearts, you'll, they will open their hearts to you and invite you in. They will ask you to save them, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And God, for many of us who have known you for a while, have we taken for granted what it means to have you as our Lord, our King, our Savior. And that no matter what we're facing, God, we can come to a celebration like this week and know that we know the answer to life's most important question. And we have the greatest assurance because Jesus, our Lord, King, and Savior, has come. Thank you, God. May you be honored in every way possible, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.